coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, back in the can for another quarantine edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. And this one, well, this could turn out to be a slightly compromising podcast for me, but it's going to be funny as hell. So let's just get to it. Uh, Tell me, who the fuck are you and what do you do? I am Mandy Curry, otherwise known as O'Farrell. And I am like the owner-operator at uh, AMB Tiny Minion Farm. Uh, what? Uh, what? <laughs> What's no, a- I'm a mom. <laughs> okay. I'm a stay-at-home mom. Oh, my tiny minions. Yes, your tiny minions. Okay, stay-at-home mom. My tiny minions. Yep, are uh, Aurora and Brio. All right. All right. Three years old that keep me very busy. Jesus Christ, that must keep you busy. Two and four. Fucking hell. Now it is for real. Now, I've talked to lots of moms on the podcast, but uh, all the moms that I've talked to are very active skydivers. Why in the fuck are you on a a skydiving podcast? Well, I used to skydive. (laughs) Yep. I met this uh, stripper in Vegas one time. (laughs) He's like, hey, you want to come out on a skydive? And I was like, "Uh, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that all right we got to we got to expand on that story just a little bit cuz it wasn't quite that bad. Well, or maybe it was. So <laughs> well, basically it was exactly like that. Well, kind of. I mean, there's a bit more of a backstory to it. So you and I had a mutual friend who also happened to be an entertainer <laughs> in the club that I worked in. I forget. I mean, yeah. I forget. Gina. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's been a very long time. Uh, and a lot of brain cells yeah. gone since then. So um, I didn't know you. She knew you and I knew her. Uh, and I was working upstairs as a stripper in that club. And you you are, by the way, I think one of maybe three skydivers that ever saw me th- at that point in my life. I think. Yeah, not only did I see you, know you, like I seen you on the meat rack. Like <laughs> I was there. Yes. Yes. Well, I was there. You I had the, my head in my lap and I couldn't look up, but yeah, I was there. Yes, you were absolutely horrified. And if I remember correctly, you were so horrified that Gina bought me uh, to do a table dance for you where you were just disgusted and wanted to run away through the entire thing. I wasn't disgusted. I was just like, <laughs> uh, I mean, shell shock. Like, I mean, how would you feel? Like, it's just. It's not a comfortable situation. Um, well, it was very me. comfortable for me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like after the, right at the time. So I have to back up though because on my side, I feel like it's a little bit, it's a little bit more telling, hilarious. Um, I met this girl at nail school. I was going to be, you know, a nail tech. After I had a degree, of course, I came home and told my parents, you know, working a real job isn't for me. I want to go. Um, do nails, you know, in this, in this trade. Right. They're like, uh, okay. Go to school in Vegas and I'm 21 years old and they're like, right. (laughs) So anyways, I take off, I meet this chick, um, I'm bored. I live out in the fucking Tuleys. Like I live in the Bananasville, right? Like the last exit out of Vegas before you hit Reno. Like, and so 
anyways, I met this gal and I was going, I like, I used to ice skate when I was a kid. So um, I was going to Brian Boitano's holiday <laughs> festival on ice. And I asked her if she wanted to go and she's like, uh, no, I'll pass. So she had, or she's, but she's like, but I'll be working that night. So come by after and we'll go for drinks. We'll hang out. And I'm like, oh, okay, where do you work? And she's like, oh, geez, just, just Google it, you know, like, and I'm like, okay. So <laughs> I show up at this strip club. I'm like, I'm looking for Gina. So the guy, the doorman ma- makes me pay to get in to go see my friend. I'm like, what the, f- where? Right. So he gives me two drink tickets and I'm like, go in there. And there's just like naked women everywhere. I'm like, oh my God. So I'm like supposed to like sort through and I'm like, can you help me find Gina? And he was like, oh, she's in the VIP room. She said just to have a seat and she'll find you when she's done. And I'm like, uh, and this place is huge. Like it's not like, oh, you know, this little one stage deal. There's like stages everywhere. And like oh, yeah. there's naked women everywhere. And so I go up to the bar and I have a seat like facing the wall. The wall, mind you, is all mirrors. So I'm still just seeing <laughs> naked women everywhere. I try to keep my back to it. But now I'm like a single girl, 21 years old, um, facing the wall in Vegas at a strip club. I wait there for like an hour and a half. She finally comes out of the VIP room and she's like, oh my God, I totally thought you'd be upstairs. And I'm like, uh, what's upstairs? So she get, takes me into the dressing room where she gets dressed and it's just like this dirty locker room and I get just like covered in glitter. I'm just like, oh, ew, like these, it's on me, you know, like, and so then we go upstairs and you run up to her and you're like, oh, hey, sweetheart. And you got these like Dean King glasses on and you're extremely handsome. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm in love. And she's like, oh, ha ha ha, you like Dean. And, um, I'm just like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. And you're like, oh shit, that's my my set, you know? So you like run up on your thing and we go over and get a drink. And then, yeah, she's already dancing and she plants me right directly on the meat rack. And I'm like, oh my God, like I can, I, this is not happening right now. <laughs> now so for, I, for those that don't know that have never been to a strip club, the meat rack is literally where you're sitting up against the stage and the edge of the stage is actually even padded so that the dancers can kneel and or crawl and lean down uh, to collect their tips. Um, and the meat rack is when the customer is sat right up against that rail. Yeah, it's, I mean, interesting and whatever. So then I won't look. So then she's like, oh, Dean, come here. You know, she gives you money and you take me over the corner. So halfway through the dance, um, you're just like, I give up. <laughs> I give up. Uh, what's your name? Where are you from? So we start talking and I'm like, what do you really do? <laughs> like, this isn't your real, what do you really do? And you're like, um, I'm a skydiver. And I was like, really? And you're like, yeah, you want to come on a skydive sometime? I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so then you got my phone number. Yep. Yep. Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, yes, I, I, I suppose I remember all that. It just seemed so much less skeezy. <laughs> it was less dramatic on your side because to me, I was just like, ah, oh, I don't even know what I'm doing here. Like this, not not what I thought when I was going to meet her for a drink. Right. So <laughs> now, later into the night. when did you, how, so how long later did you make your first skydive? 
I actually had jumped before that when I was, this is, I mean, this is how wholesome I am now. Um, I was working for Walt Disney World in Florida and I'm doing my internship out of college. And I had this British kid wanted to take a, wanted to go on a skydive before he left the States. Um, He was in the Millennium Village. We worked there in 2000. Hmm. And uh, so we went up to the closest skydiving center in some orange field and made made our first tandem skydive and um i had seasonal allergies i didn't like i'm not i'm from alaska so i didn't have allergies my whole life and then i go to florida in the fall and there's like all these trees and shit blooming so i had like these horrible allergies i was a little bit medicine heady you know and um we did the skydive and my, my videographer's videoing me and I'm like, yay, you know, like I land and I'm like, yeah, you know, they're like, Hey, how do you like it? Like they're excited, like expecting this little 20, 20 year old chick to be like, Woo! like all jumping all over them. Like, that was cool. Like just nodding my head, like, sure. <laughs> and literally on the video, you can hear the guy go, what the hell kind of reaction was that? <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure. Whatevs. And that was that was on jump number one. Now, when that was did, jump number one. but we ended up jumping together in Vegas. Yeah, we jumped together. Actually, I jumped with. I'm like, who is that? Gosh, I don't remember. Um, you you videoed it. I yeah. don't think you actually took me off. Okay, yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, we was it. Mark Hogue was that. My instructor. That could have been, yeah, because because uh, that yeah. was uh, that was when we were. I was jumping in Gene, although I bounced to every damn drop zone in that town. But I think I was in Gene at the time. Yeah. So um, yeah, I I think it was within days. I think it was like the next day or within <laughs> days because as my story goes, like legitimate, like I went to this fanboy like ice skating thing. I met you. And then I think we I went on a skydive with you, and then we met for a drink, um, which is also a story that I wanted to tell. We met for a drink, and we're discussing like where we live, and you also lived on the same exit before you get to Reno. Yeah, <laughs> like, bump forever up out of town. Yeah, so we lived only blocks from each other. So we met out at this um, lodgy type place, and. Um, I was leaving to go back to Alaska for Christmas break at the time, like the very next day or that night. And uh, we met for a drink. And I remember you getting up at one point, going to go to the bathroom, and every fucking head in that bar turned to look at you. <laughs> and including the bartender, I just watched the show of like every head turning. And so it's so funny to me when you talk about the Me Too movement and like, how legitimately as a guy you you can relate, but you can't relate. Like you'll never really know. I'm like, dude, if any man was ever womanized, I'm like, it was you. Because I was like, even the bartender who is a man was like, oh, like stop in their tracks and walk you walk to the bathroom. And I was like, oh my god, I'm in fucking trouble. Never ha- and I never have I ever been with a man who turns more heads than me. if ever a man had been womanized i like that that's pretty good (laughs) i mean it was ridiculous it it was ridiculous it was just like everybody stopped and stared and i was just like oh my god oh this is interesting 
Hey, real quick, uh, while I can, uh, you're echoing a little bit. I'll get you to turn the volume on your computer down just a bit, just so I'm not yeah. quite as loud. Okay, let me try. Yeah. Okay. Then it won't echo through. All right, did that work? Yeah, that's perfect. That's much better. So now, um, okay. so we make the one jump, but uh, we hung out quite a bit, and we even did some skiing and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I forget when you made the decision that you're like, fuck this, I want to be a skydiver. So I didn't really make the decision, um, interestingly enough. I mean, I don't know. Do you remember this story? <laughs> you got to so remind me. I, I'm like calling home, talking to my parents all the time, which is just pretty normal for me. And my dad's like, you know, the two things I wish that I would have done when I was a kid or younger and I could was play hockey and skydive. Mm. And so if you want to do this, I'll pay for it. So, you know, the next time I hung out with you, which was probably, you know, the next day, I was like, yeah, so I was talking to my parents. My dad said this and you were like, fuck, yes, you're doing this. And I was like, uh, OK, <laughs> so you talked to Mark Hogue, uh, you know, and, and he's and he knows people in Eloy. And so he called down there and it turns out that weekend, the drop zone was actually closed. Um, but they had, because they were closed for like some RW something or sure. another, like some speed, something, you know, it was like legit closed. It was closed to fun jumpers, but they were going to run, you know, they said they would run a, an AFF class for me and this other chick, this one chick out of Tucson was a college student and so and I don't know if it was maybe me because I was coming down there but um yeah I, I don't remember I, I remember the guy's face the DZO at the time um and I remember uh Brian Burke was there mm. um talking, lots of talking he was always like, <laughs> but yeah so they ran this special course for for me and you so you and I were down there and yeah there was it was completely dead there was some stuff going on in the big hangar, um, but there was no fun jumpers. There was no people. There's no spectators. The bar was, I mean, everything was closed. It was just us, you know? And uh, so I got down there and I think in two days I did all seven jumps. Yes. Yes. You flew through the course. You absolutely flew through yeah. the course. Yeah. Would and like you were on the ground filming me and they, they allowed you to go in the plane um, on my last two jumps, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so AFFs was, was a breeze, you know, like, and I was just like leisurely like, okay, I'm doing this. And my well, dad was just like, you kind of got it, no big deal. You, you kind of got spoiled your entire time in the sport. I mean, and I don't mean materially spoiled. I mean, you just got lucky with the people that you got to jump with and the situations that you ended up with. I mean, who was it you were telling me was basically your personal free fly coach? Mike Ortiz. I mean, come on. Who so the fuck gets a flyboy I mean, yeah. as a personal so like, free fly coach? Literally, I had the most charmed skydiving career in my 150 jumps. <laughs> it was phenomenal. So jump, you know, one through seven, I had a private, you know, course at Eloy. Um, and then literally on the drive home, you made some phone calls and there was somebody who knew somebody who had this teeny tiny trig. And so I got a uh, old rig with a new canopy um, and a new uh, Cypress. Yes, so I, I had a Cypress with tons of years left on it. So that was like the whole thing. And 
we bought it for a thousand bucks. We didn't even go home. We went straight from Vegas to um, some guy's car and bought this rig for me. <laughs> the following weekend, I think it was the following weekend, you took me out to Paris. Yep. And um, I got to jump out of a sky van. Is that what it is? Yeah, it would have so been the sky van in Paris. Yep. Okay. So, and you were like showing me how basically to like kind of crawl out the back and like hold on to the step and then just <laughs> yeah. hold on to the plane and like kind of like hold on and hang out there. Yep. Yep. It was so bomb. And there was like people like diving out behind us and we're just hanging on this thing and they're just like going. It was super cool. Yep. I remember. But, like here I am at like less than 10 jumps and I'm like hanging on this airplane, just kind of like flying in the air. All um, this shit that and, you yeah, are then, absolutely not supposed to do. <laughs> Right. But I mean, I mean, I knew people, it was fun and we had a good time and, and then, yeah, I came home to Alaska and of course I wanted to find skydiving here. I had my own rig, you know? Um, oh yeah. And so we went out to the only skydiving place, Skydive Alaska and it is owned by Bill and Carol Jones. Mm. And they used to have the 24 or was the summer solstice boogie. Right. On June 21st, so we had 24 hours of sunlight up here. They'd bring up an otter or caravan or king air or something. And um, they brought up Mike Ortiz and a few other people to, like, do different camps and stuff. But free flying wasn't really a thing up here. That was the other thing. Like, it was a really weird drop. It's a really, It was a really interesting drop zone. I mean, I'm sure they happen elsewhere. But so in Alaska, it was always $25 a jump. Mm. And... It was always, it's always rich people. So like all these older people, and I'm talking older, <laughs> older, you know what I'm saying? They would fly their own planes to the drop zone, park their planes, and then get out of their planes and then go jump. Like, it's just, a, you know, here I am like the only 20, 21 year old, 22 year old. Kid. Sure. And um, sure. yeah, like. I'm out there with all these, you know, older people. And so Bill and Carol really um, looked out for me. And I, you know, at the time I was like, oh, you know, I'm fine, whatever. And I kind of didn't really appreciate their over, like their, their apparently hands on me all the time, you know. But basically they told anybody out there, like, touch her, look at her, you know, do anything to her, like you're dead. (laughs) You will be dead to us. You will be ousted. So any young-ish guy that came around um, basically got the talking to, like, you know, don't do it. Don't don't even dream of it, you know? And I'm just like, but I want to have fun, too. And they're like, no. No, you don't. Not No. <laughs> well, I mean, what a spectacular place to go jump in, so, though. I mean, fuck me. Alaska's got to be – and I've never jumped there. I never did make it up to one of the solstice boogies when it was still going on. But it's got to be fucking stunning because I've spent – I've now been to uh, Anchorage twice, uh, winter and summertime, and it's absolutely breathtaking. So to jump there? Yeah. Shit. So, yeah. We did a high-altitude jumps, not over Denali, but um, we're not far from Denali, the largest – mountain in North America and we would take off from the drop zone and we would fly to altitude and circle base camp and come back to the drop zone at high altitude and do high altitude jumps. Hmm. Um, we did helicopter jumps over a glacier 
where we'd set out base camp way out over a glacier and we would um, basically fly the helicopter and do like, you know, super cool maneuvers all through the glacier and then jump out over a glacial lake and land on the glacier. Oh, wow. Well, and I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff that Alaska is known for though, right? I mean, don't more people own fucking airplanes than cars out there? Yeah, it's a super aviation heavy place. So like even now, my husband's a pilot, of course. So Hmm. we, um, you know, he's, he wants to get a plane. It's kind of like one of those things. And um, I'm just like, uh, if we get a plane, it has to have a jump door. Like that's the deal. <laughs> I mean, like that's like legit. Like that's the deal. And he's he's pretty pushed back on that. And I'm like, hey, He'd be you want a plane and all the kids to go with it? Then it's got to have a, a jump door. He'd, like that's he'd be your deal. own your own personal jump pilot. Good, absolutely. Fucking hell, that'd actually be pretty pimp. <laughs> yeah, and like totally. And like, there is actually a neighborhood like four miles from where I live that has, well, there's multiple neighborhoods that have airstrips right on them. I don't know how the Anchorage airspace goes. It's pretty busy. So I have jumped and seen the writing on the hat of another, (laughs) of another (laughs) Cessna pilot. And, you know, been like, holy moly, like why are all these airplanes in the sky? Right. Well, and I can, just Alaska. I can, I can imagine that it'd be a fair amount of the reason why he'd be worried. That being said, uh, at least from what I know, your husband is a pretty low key guy because I was your maid of honor at your wedding. Right. So any How many people get their yeah, dude I, made of honor or their ex stripper boyfriend from Vegas. Yeah, I mean, I, I might be nicknamed princess, but when it comes down to it, I'm not a princess. Although I remember you told me um, that his friends were asking him, "Is he like gay or what? Because why? Why is he your wife's or your soon to be <laughs> wife's maid of honor?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, they like. You know, I just talk about everything. So he has no question of, you know, (laughs) our friendship, you know. And so he just doesn't even like it doesn't occur to him. You know, he's pretty busy with his own thing. He doesn't care. Yeah. So people people were, you know, definitely like, what? Wait, huh? They dated, you know? And he's like, I mean, yeah, but it's like her best friend. So why, you know, you know? Well, and it was so weird too because I uh, it was a bit of a whirlwind tour because I was coming from overseas, uh, visiting family in Seattle where I got my entire sleeve tattoo in two days, and then came to you two days later trying to heal up the sleeve tattoo, wearing you know a, a full a heavy black suit for your wedding, and uh, all of this. It was just the coolest, strangest Rain trip ever. And winter coats, and yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, yeah, and. And the uh, the fishing that you took me to do, where you're you're nipple deep in waders out in really fucking cold, pretty stiff tides in this water, trying to catch fish in the rain. We didn't catch a goddamn fucking thing, by the way. Nothing. Not no, even- that was that was a bad day of fishing. That was a bummer. Yeah. If you would have got one though, it would have been amazing. Yeah, yeah. Not even a nibble. It was- Nothing. <laughs> No, no, it was such a crap, it was such a crap day and a crap tide. Well, all in all though, uh, we've, we've had uh, um, more than a couple of pretty bizarre um, adventures together. So a relatively mellow one wasn't such a bad thing. Right, right. And it, I mean, you know, yeah. So basically 
I'm curious to hear, and I've only talked about it briefly uh, a couple of times on the podcast, but I've written an article about it, and it's definitely been brought up. Uh, you are the only person that was there uh, to witness everything that happened when uh, we flew the Chicago Twin Otter to Mexico. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a cool trip. I mean, that's just kind of like the nature, kind of of like um, my skydiving career, right? It's like again, I maybe had like a hundred and fifty, two hundred jumps, and uh, yeah, Dean calls or says, "Hey, I'm gonna fly this otter. I got this really cool gig for the winter. You know, Chicago doesn't do much jumping in the winter, so I'm gonna go down to Mexico and." fly this otter for this uh, drop zone and then rotate between the beach and inland. And I was like, Ooh, that sounds cool. Like, can somebody else ride in the plane? Like, what's the deal? And you're like, yeah, I mean, I can check. And so I'm like, uh, hell yeah. <laughs> like check into that. So yeah, we, I got to come down to Chicago. Speaking of which, I, we have to back up eventually to, um, cross keys and, and that. Oh, but, for sure. Uh, yeah. So we flew the the otter down, and we end up in Brownsville, Texas. Brownsville, before Texas. Before we cross oh. the border, border, and we we I don't remember, but we unloaded that little moped thing, and we're driving through Brownsville to get to our hotel, and it was just dirty and nasty, and it was just awful. And yeah. we were both like, "Oh my god, I can't wait to get to Mexico." Right. So where it was going to be like this oasis. We just wait. We're like, oh, we have to be in this disgusting place. Like, oh, this is the worst. They're like, the, everything was just so bad. And we're just like dumb and dumber. You know, we're sitting on this little moped and we're like strapped kind of to each other. Eat through town. And uh, so we took off the next day. And we start getting the Mexican airspace. And we can't fucking understand it. a word that these people are saying. They're talking so fast. It was like. Oh yeah. Well, and and as a little uh, as a little precursor to that, when we left Chicago, uh, my cross country experience was limited to what I was required to do to get my commercial license. Which, for any pilot out there, knows that means jack shit. Uh, so I had my instrument rating that I had basically never used, uh, and I had my commercial rating, obviously, to fly jumpers, but had done no real cross country. And the next thing you know, I'm flying a twin otter from uh, Chicago to, I think I had, we had to go through um, Tennessee and then Tennessee to Brownsville and then Brownsville into Mexico. And literally all I had was my flight plan, which was like the 10th flight plan I'd ever made and some notes from the previous pilot that had done it a couple of years before, which basically oh, said, no. yeah, basically said, once you cross into Mexican airspace, all bets are off. So <laughs> we, we ended up in Brownsville for that extra night because of bad weather, because I was uncurrent instrument wise and a chicken shit. I'm like, there's no fucking way I'm flying into Mexico into potentially bad weather when I haven't, you know, seen the inside of a cloud since my instrument course. So we ended up an extra day in lovely Brownsville before we took off that. Oh, oh man. Yeah. We just couldn't wait to get out of there, but it was, yeah. And so we go to Mexico and, oh my gosh. So we, <laughs> we, you have like this GPS coordinates and you're like, Oh, we're, we're going to get it here. You know, we're, 
um, flying over and flying over. And you're like, well, the GPS says it's here. Like it should be right below us. And we're like looking and looking. We can't see anything that remotely resembles a drop zone. There's a big fucking Grand Canyon, but there is no drop zone. So this little guy, this guy comes in the radio and he's like speaking Spanish and you start talking to him a little bit and basically figure out it's like one of the drop zone guys. And he's like, yeah, 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 you're almost there. And he's trying to direct you. And I'm, you know, and it's like, it's such a hot mess. So finally we do see like an airstrip. Yep. So you're like, well, I don't fucking care. Like we can't just fly around up here all day. Like we're going to land on this thing. This is where the GPS says to go. I can see a tiny strip of land. Like, you know, okay. So we go and we're, we, we finally come in and we we're, I mean, you're coming in and like, it does get kind of bumpy. Plus the guy is trying to tell you like, (laughs) Um, yeah, that's a drop zone, but not the drop zone. And you're like, well, fucking come to me when I get on the ground and we'll talk about it. Like, right. You know, so you land and we're like going down this and we know that there's a canyon. Right. But like in the air, you know, it maybe looks like more like a crack. It doesn't look like the ginormous like canyon full of um, full of power lines that it really is. All right. So we're like blasting down this this runway. Dirt, mind you, just dirt and rocks and ruts everywhere, bumping all over the place. And uh, yeah, we get right to the canyon edge, right as we're like, you know, you're really trying to stop the plane. And I'm like, wow, this is for oh, real. Well, like, and I'm oh, worst case scenario, we could just like, keep flying, right? And you're like, that's not how planes work. You're Well, and you're being very <laughs> kind too, because um, uh, that was at the time the single worst fucking landing of my life. I uh, I didn't so much fucking um, land daintily in Mexico as we arrived with a force. Uh, we fucking th- no, we slammed down. I mean, but I was like, I felt like it was more the bumpy runway. Yeah, okay. So, I'll, don't get me wrong. I'll take it. But it was a shit landing. And I look yeah. back on it. And when I was trained to fly that twin otter, I was trained to never use more than ten degrees flaps. Um, I should have been full flaps going into this place. And for anybody that's listening to this, the field that we're talking about is the old Kuatla runway. Uh, for anybody that knows that runway, they're now going, oh yeah, 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 that's a fucked up field. And it is. It looks like more like a donkey cart than it does a runway. Uh, and to add insult to injury, I pile drive on that fucking runway, manage to get it stopped before we end up going over the edge into the big ditch. And as soon as I get it shut down, we're surrounded by Mexican military with guns. Woo! Yeah, they like rode up in a Hummer and there's like men's with guns like hanging all over this vehicle. And I'm like, what? And you're like, oh, just don't move. Just don't move. I'm like, okay. We were not warned about any of that prior to. Luckily, we were able to get out of there to where I had the second worst landing of my life, which was actually in on the actual runway that I was supposed to be on. Thankfully, every landing after that was actually quite nice when, once we got there. Uh, but that was just the beginning of the excitement in that place. Oh. Right. So do you remember, it was like we finally made it to the place, kind of dark. And I don't remember who picked us up. I remember we did meet. Am I allowed to say the name of the guy? Uh, are you talking about the drop zone owner? Yeah. I don't know if he still owns it anymore, but the owner at the time was Tony. Yeah. Yeah. But it was like Tony Montana. <laughs> Tonya Montana. Uh, Mon- <laughs> Montana, I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was like some drug lord name from Mexico. Yeah. 
and we get picked up, go to his house, getting out of the car, you drop your phone, it shatters into a million pieces. Right. Yep. So I've broken now, my phone because it got run over by the van because I set it down on the back uh, bumper as we're pulling all the gear out. We get into the house and find out that we're staying in uh, Tony's house with Fritz uh, of the Flyboys uh, and his girlfriend at the time, uh, just to find out that that house is like party central the entire time we're there. You remember that? Yeah, I do, but I don't remember Fritz staying there. I remember basically, you know, being hungry and we had no way to get food. Right. And like the party, the DJ setting up and um, weird people starting to show up and you basically getting, you know, basically being like, get in the fucking bedroom, take your last piss because once we lock this door and, you know, Katie bar it. <laughs> Yep. you're not going out you know you are not going out of this room yep. like this will be especially forbidden and so you're getting on the emails or whatever trying to basically get back communication with anybody because your phone now is shit right and um yeah we you basically you know the the music started and it was like oops, oops, but like never stopped. really loud like really loud it was like blaring so i mean you couldn't even hear yourself think nope and so <laughs> i don't remember i think you gave me earphones or some some type of ear protection and yep. told me to go to bed. <laughs> told me to go to bed and you were like on your computer and worried and i was like um he'll take care of everything and i, I just went to sleep yep well, and we didn't, I didn't sleep at all, uh, get up the next morning, uh, to go to the drop zone to start what was the beginning of the Halloween boogie, um, which mm-hmm. went really well for the first, oh, I don't know, quarter of the day. And then that's when uh, I had the issue with the local pilot who had, uh, um, made a bit of a mistake when he taxied the, uh, Colorado King Air, uh, down a hill and had double prop strikes on the pavement. Um, and, yeah. And that's where that's where uh, I, I told him, don't you dare load anybody in that plane. And things just got really weird from there. Yeah. No, it was no, it was no good. We were just walking out to the plane and here comes this load full of jumpers and it's bang, bang. And you're like, uh, radio hey, stop that guy, put those passengers in my plane. So we fired up and got the people on our plane, and we thought we're all safe. Things were going to be good to go. Um, They'll get their stuff checked out, and they could go from there. No sooner did we take off did that guy load full of people, and he beat us into the sky. Like, he came, and he he was, like, inches from the plane. Like, he was right there, right on us. And it was like, oh, gosh. And yeah, I, we just continued to operate right the rest of the day. And, um, when we landed, (laughs) we landed, there was like this dark color vehicle coming truck. It was a truck because there's people in the bed coming to greet us. And I thought, oh, great. They're coming to take us, you know, so we don't have to walk all the way back to the, basically the landing area or whatever. Take us back to the party for dinner. Um, and no. They were not. They got out of the truck with guns and bats, (laughs) and they came to approach you and tell you, basically, um, if you don't leave Mexico, you have 24 hours. If you don't leave Mexico now, you're leaving in a box, in a pine box. (laughs) 
Yep. And I like in my flip flops, I run over to these military guys who are like smoking cigarettes behind this little like shack and they've got their big rifles, you know, and I'm like, help me, help me, my friend. And they look at me and they look around the shack thing and they see the guys with the guns and whatnot. And they, they go back and sit down in their lawn chairs. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I run over and that little, there's this little guy like jumping. He's, I mean, you're not like a, basketball player but this guy was like shorter he was like jumping up trying to punch you in the face and then the guy with that was like circling so i was like you know basically shooing him off and yeah we basically got on the motor scooter like the little dumb and dumber people and zinged out of there um back to safety uh you know, so to say, and yeah. then that, yeah, that black pickup truck drove off and you could see the guys like holding their guns and we're like, those guys right there had guns. Like they were telling us to leave now or leave in a pine box. Yep. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, and it's, it's funny too. Cause uh, of course we found out after the fact that the, one of the guys that had a gun was a federale, which did not make me feel any better. Uh, about the whole situation. And of course, the way that it ended up was me contacting the aircraft owner and going, look, you've got two options. Uh, I either leave on a flight out of Mexico City or I leave in your plane, but I'm fucking out of here. And to his credit, he was like, get in the plane and get the fuck out of there. Um, And the coolest thing ever, and funny enough, I don't even know if you know this, but in the years since, I've actually ended up working with four different people um, consistently that were working there when all all that happened. Um, and you remember when I had to address the entire group, I had a tear coming down my face because I was heartbroken that I had to take this plane away from them because they were counting on that Twin Otter for their whole, that was their whole season that I was taking away. Uh, and I'll never forget right. how fucking amazing those people were because all these people whose season I was destroying spent hours helping you and I load that Twin Otter so that sunrise we could get the fuck out of there. That was the coolest thing I had yeah, ever seen. Yeah, back to that guy yeah they went back to that guy's house got all our personal belongings they yeah they kind of sheltered us i mean we had to basically go in hiding for a couple hours and then in the morning light like literally when sun rose we were loading the plane like you said with a crew of people um and yeah we were definitely taking away their livelihood and their fun right and they did it with a smile on their face and even some hugs, and I remember multiple people apologizing to me for the fact that that had happened, and I felt so so thrilled that they were being so amazing, but so horrible um, that that had happened. And then, of course, it was just like, can we please just get the fuck out of here? And then the clusterfuck of, of yeah. having to fly back through Puebla and uh, get all the permissions to go back into the United States. And then you and I land in Brownsville, cut to 30 minutes after we land there, we go, customs was the lady walking over, peeking her head into the Twin Otter and going, I'm not fucking going in there and clearing us because it was so packed with stuff. I mean, we could have had a thousand pounds of anything in there. She didn't want to have anything to do with it. And then next thing you know, we're back on the scooter riding towards the hotel that we'd stayed in. And all of a sudden, Brownsville was the most fucking gorgeous, amazing town we had ever been in. You literally kissed the ground. Yes, I did. You literally kissed a big ground in Brownsville. Like you were like, oh my gosh. And I was like, oh, it's a little dramatic. But then once we like settled in and I called my mom. Yep. (laughs) I called my mom once we get back to the States and she was just like, okay, so you're in Texas and you're 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, we were run out of Mexico by gunpoint. Yeah. Yeah. And I can, I can say yeah. with beyond a shadow of a doubt that having a gun stuck in your face by someone who is clearly not fucking around is not an experience I would like to repeat. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good no, not doing that again. I mean, it was. That was pretty. It was a pretty fucking intense experience, and of course, it's it's turned out to be a funny story to tell. But uh, um, yeah, it's no. That was it was <laughs> no no. That was something else. I, I will honestly never forget that landing, though. Like honestly, like it was. I mean, and then when we took off and seen like the canyon, like the, it looked like a crack again. Yeah. But when you got right on the edge, it was like. Oh my God, that thing is a canyon. Oh yeah, we would have died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. They would have never recovered the plane. Like, no, no. it was. It was was definitely nowhere that I should have been operating with the amount of experience I had in the Twin Otter. Because I think by the time I went there, I had. I don't know, 200 hours in the otter, all on a nice grass strip in at sea level in Chicago, <laughs> you know, and next thing you know, I'm landing on a donkey trail at 4,000 feet somewhere in Mexico. Yeah, that was, that was intense. It was definitely intense. Yeah, so not something I'd, uh, I'd be in a huge uh, rush to repeat for sure. Now you didn't so meeting, no, go, meeting, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Meeting Fritz was definitely one of the highlights of that trip for me because Mike Ortiz was my coach. Sure. So like I said, he came up to Alaska, um, for our, our boogie. And by the way, like back to my charmed skydiving career, my, they were just kind of like getting their second hanger, their little building put together when I kind of came into the thing. And my dad does flooring so they, you know, ideally wanted carpet, right? Because it's softer to pack on and whatnot. Mm. Um, but at the point, it was just um, plywood and concrete. And so I said, well, hey, my dad does flooring and maybe we could work out a deal for some jump tickets. <laughs> so literally, like the second time I was out there, I brokered a deal to get me like $2,500 in jump tickets. Yeah. Oh, I remember you telling me the story. You're like, no, my dad's going to put carpet in. So I've basically got like two years worth of jumps on my account. Yeah, I have like $2,500 in jump tickets. Now they're expensive jump tickets because it's Alaska, but still. I'm like, uh, you know, I have 15 jumps. Maybe, Maybe I had 25. I think I did have about 25 at the time, but still. And then, you know, a month later, Mike Ortiz shows up to a RW, you know, drop zone. And I'm like, hey, you want to jump? So I was, you know, I could pay for these jumps with him, like no problem. So yeah, my first hundred jumps, you know, uh, were with Mike Ortiz. And then, you know, we, Alaska always did like a February, January, um, Alaska Canadian invasion in Eloy, Mm. where we all went down as a group and all the Canadians, basically we did this combined boogie in Eloy and, um, So anyways, meeting Fritz was super cool because Mike Ortiz, like once I found out who he was, I kind of did a little research and I was like, Ooh, wow. Like, so I, um, got to meet Fritz and then I also went with, to a boogie with Carol Jones, um, and the ladies to the drop boogie Mm. and I met Fritz. So, and jumped with him because Carol was like, here, here's a, here's a free flight, you know, like mom, right? Right. Like good mom. She, me personally over and introduces to this is somebody that you're allowed to jump with. This will be your coach. You know, like, so I just so char, like, you know, and I didn't know any different at the time until I, like I said, I did a little research and then, 
Oh, Fritz was like the last one that I would want to meet or, you know, needed to meet. And then we're down there and partying with them and like staying in the same house with them. And I didn't get to do any jumps. You're only there a day. (laughs) But um, it was super, it was super cool for me. It was definitely a highlight of that trip. Now you, you got to meet uh, Alaska John as well, didn't you? Yeah. So it was it was into a couple years of jumping up here and a couple years of the boogies going on. Um, Alaska John and one of his teammates came up um, with this gal. Her her dad owned Korean Air, mm. and so she took her coaches everywhere to these boogies. And she always, you know, so this gal uh, shows up and she's got the exact same jumpsuit that I am wearing. I had mine custom made mm. and this girl is like literally wearing my jumpsuit. And I'm like, what? and she's, you know, a little Korean gal. So she's, you know, pretty, uh, pretty attractive gal, nice spot, you know, like my, like Lindsay. Right. So then Alaska John is, uh, he was an attractive guy. I mean, he's super, <laughs> super hot guy. So I was like, yes, you know, Somebody who basically doesn't have to listen to the to the drop zone owner, you know what I mean? Like, like I don't think that Carol and Bill were going to go up to him and be like, you know, this girl is untouchable. Right. Do not, you know, mess with her. And I don't, I, I, I don't think that they did it maliciously. I think it was more like literally out of love. Mm. Like, we do not want you to. Basically, yeah. Don't don't get into any drop zone drama un, un, unknowingly. So we're just gonna basically forbid it. <laughs> so they wouldn't forbid it for him, right? Because he's like this special guest that we had up in Alaska, and so we were um, all drinking. And that was the other thing. Our drop zone is a little bit special. One of the skydivers is um, that was the MGD and Miller Genuine Draft rep. Uh, so we had free flowing alcohol for free always and forever. There was never a fee for any booze for anyone. Oh, <laughs> oh you can drink 24 hours of sunlight. Like, ay, 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 ay. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, we're, we're on this big fuel. I don't know what they are, but they're, it's like a balloon. Okay. Kind of like a balloon wheel thing. It's like this big balloon. And so anyways, we're, you get up there and you're about five, six feet off the ground. And so we're seeing how many people we could get up on this balloon and keep the balloon rolling. <laughs> and so every time we got up there, right? Like I was trying to get close to him. He is hot. And I'm like, I want to hold on to you. <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah, help, you help me. You know, like always trying to kind of angle myself towards him. But anyways, one time we took quite the tumble and this was after a couple hours of drinking we all took a tumble, but I landed on him. <laughs> I broke his leg. <laughs> I broke his ankle. <laughs> and I, I was purposely like trying to stay close to him so that like something more romantic could happen. But I think after that, he was kind of like, oh, that's well, that's yeah, that's you, that's you fucking snapped Alaska John's ankle for Christ's sakes. <laughs> yes, I did. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, whatever claim to fame, right? I mean, come on, shit. You got to make a name for yourself. <laughs> So now, yeah, I don't think when 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 was the last time you jumped? Um, I don't remember. Been a while. Well, you're a mother of two <laughs> yeah, now. Like, well, okay. What year did you get married? That was oh twenty. What no, 20, 2014? 2014 was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. 
So I think it was before 2011. Because when did we go to Australia? Uh, when the hell did we go? I think we went. It was your... 10 years ago. 30th and your 40th. Yeah, so. yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think I had jumped before that, like at that point. I don't think I was jumping in 2011. I think. Probably whenever the Alaska drop zone shut down, so I'd have to look that up. But it's been a long time. Now, is is jumping something that you hope to be able to do again someday in the future? I mean, yes and no. Like, I still have my rig because I figured I would jump. But now I'm hearing about all the technology and I'm like, ooh, I need to sell that shit. Because <laughs> anybody would want it. It's a brand new rig, unfortunately. It probably only has like 100 jumps on it. Well, the, the, the benefit to a gear like that is it's still great for you. I mean, if you're not going to go out and try and be, you know, a cutting edge swooper doing all this hardcore intense stuff, you don't need any more than you had back then. It's still a safe rig with the cypress and the canopies in it. Um, you know, I mean, so that's a rig that you could hold on to for quite some time and still be able to get a jump in. I don't know what it would be worth to sell now. I mean, I suppose you'd get a few bucks for it. But, I mean, at this point, I'd almost hang on to it more for sentimental point, right? reasons. Just hang on to it. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of why I did. Like, I designed it, picked it out, and it's I like it. Well, so. and you said uh, you said your husband's trying to talk you into getting an airplane. A little, I'm assuming he wants, like, a little bush plane. Does he want, like, a Piper Cub or a Cessna? Probably a Cessna, yeah. I mean, we have kids, so we have to have something big enough to put the kids in, the dog. Sure. Absolutely. So, well, and so there you go. You had said it before. He can have a plane if you can have a jump door. Right. Uh, yeah. How- and we do have a small operation out of that's running out, out in the valley, but um, it's, you know, it's a different setup. Bill and Carol, I mean, they, they know how to build a drop. Oh, personally. They have an amazing place. If you got and a, now it's if, the airport. If you got a pilot husband, <laughs> You make your own fucking drop zone. <laughs> just go do a, well, yeah, just go do the occasional yeah. bandit jump. How cool are your kids going to think you are? Mom just fucking jumped out of the plane. Well, and that would be probably the only reason I wouldn't jump, you know, and I, I it's just going to depend on like kind of, yeah, like what the lifestyle ends up. Like we are super busy. We got these fat bikes um, and we like to fish. We both like to snowboard. We'd like to get a ski, a ski you know, a ski cabin or a cabin up at Girdwood, um, that little town where we got married. Mm. And, um, you know, the kids will be skiing. And I mean, we're like, I mean, we do two bike rides a day right now. Like it's just, it's really busy. So I just can't imagine breaking away. And then like my nephews um, are high school kids and they play football and various sports. And I'm Oh, we're always trying to like make time to go see them, mm. but I'm imagining myself mm-hmm. with a, you know, teenage kids and it's like, it doesn't get any less busy. <laughs> like, you know, and like my husband's already, you know, he's like, Whoa, Brielle's yeah. needs to start, you know, piano this year. I'm like, she's five. And he's like, yeah, it's time. It's time. Yeah. It's time. You now, know, so now, now I'm seeing a music class into the five sport lessons and kindergarten. I'm like, dude, I'm like for real busy. Like, Right. And he's like, well, I work all day. And I'm like, yo, I haven't sat down all day. Like, 
at all. No. <laughs> like, at least you sit at your desk. I haven't sat down. Now, when, when all this mania drops off and they get older, what happens when they see old pictures or video of mom out skydiving and decide that they want to go jump as well? How are you going to, how are you going to cope with that? Are you going to be, yeah, fuck, let's go skydiving, or are you going to try and keep them away from it? I mean, I don't know. Like, I would definitely, you know, I go both ways because I'm super protective. Um, but I would, I would, I would probably say, yeah, let's go. I mean, I know how safe it is. Like, I really still feel like it's super safe in comparison to some other things that they could be doing. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so there's that, but like the whole guy thing, right? Like, I mean, I was pretty conservative, um, but, you know, as I have become an adult, it's not that cool to be friends with uh, boys. I'm like, well, how about that shit, Dean? Right. Um, I'm supposed, like, I have more girlfriends now, so I'm hearing more stories because I, I just never hung out with girls, so I just didn't ever get it. And I wasn't that promiscuous, per se, so I didn't, just didn't get it. I, I, I just didn't get it. So now having girls and then hearing these girls stories of like how girls can be, I'm, I'm a little shocked and I'm like worried about my kids. Like I just, I mean, sorry, but this is the real deal of it. Like I always hung out with guys. I had no, no clue how girls can be. And I have three brothers now I have daughters and the guy, the guy thing is a serious issue for me. So I don't know. That is going to be harder than letting them, ride dirt bikes. Well, I mean, that's the old, the old joke is if you have a boy, you got to worry about one prick. If you have a girl, you got to worry about all of them. That was, that was, that was the whole joke in regard to my daughter and skydiving is people would ask me when she was old enough, would you let her go skydiving? And my response was always the same. Absolutely. She can jump if she wants to, as long as she doesn't have to go to a fucking drop zone to do it. (laughs) You know, um, now luckily she's gone for a couple of jumps, but daddy was there to supervise, uh, for everything. But yeah, I mean, some crazy shit gets going on at these drop zones and more power to everybody doing them. But as soon as it's your kid. It's a slightly different feel. Slightly <laughs> different. So I would say, as long as the Joneses still have a drop zone, and my my kid could go jump at a Jones drop zone. I mean, Bill Jones is a force. Like you do not want to mess with him. And so, I feel my. I felt like I was super lucky. Like I could not have been more blessed. So now looking back on it all, um, because I, I usually ask people towards the end of the podcast, um, what recommendations they would give to people just getting in the sport and what recommendations they would give to people that are thinking about getting out of the sport. Well, you're out of the sport. Uh, so looking back, what are your highlights? What were your takeaways just in general, uh, from skydiving and is there any regret from walking away or is it just kind of, it was time? Um, it wasn't time. The drops went shut down. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> they retired. Um, and I mean, the new people though, I would say, obviously one of your guys, military guy pilot the other day said this, but it was like, um, big ears, big eyes, keep your mouth shut, something like this. Mm. And I was like, yes, like that is exactly true. Like that's just my nature anyways, kind of in a new setting. So I just like observe everything first. And, um, so Eli, Eloy, I always, 
you know, that was the beauty of just having time on my hands when I was young. You just go and hang out and like listen and learn and all that knowledge is free for the taking. I mean, like I, we, they used to run, um, I was just looking at a picture from Omar today. It was, um, Jeffro and, uh, Jason Peters and Amy. Mm. So those were my three canopy pilots or my three canopy coaches. Again, like basically from, you know, 50 jumps to 150 jumps. Those were my canopy pilot coaches. Like they were hired to coach the Alaskan Canadian boogies. (laughs) And I still call them good friends of mine. I mean, you know, I'm still friends with them on Facebook. Like, Um, so I, but I learned so much, um, just going into their little loft area and hanging out after, you know, the day was done and just kind of like, um, again, like hanging out wherever they were and hanging out with them and talking to them and, you know, enjoying conversation with them and other people. Um, you know, it was just, you learn so much. So I would just say as a new upcoming jumper, you know, listen and take heed and listen, you know, to people, you know, who know what they're doing and really pay attention and, you know, gain all that knowledge. Like there's lots of time and there's lots of free information out there. If you just, you know, slow down and don't have an ego, um, hmm, for you sure. know, for sure. That's what I'm going to say. You know, listen and learn. Now, and then yeah, just, for, just like, yeah, for the people that are, that are thinking about walking away from someone that has walked away, even though not necessarily voluntarily, uh, looking back, what do you, what do you say to them? I mean, like you really have to decide if this is your community. I mean, that, that is the one thing that like this podcast for, for me. And like, even, um, when I had, when I had my first kid, you know, I was up here where I'm from, you know, we military, we moved back and my friends didn't come around. Nobody came around. I had this kid, I'm isolated. I'm like stuck at home being a mom. And you know, who called was Carol Jones. Hmm. Hey, I'm in town for three days only. You want to come and have a drink? That's a freaking Lutely. So I went and I had a drink. It was the first time out after being a new mom. My kid was 11 days old and I met them, all the skydivers, you know, nobody had gotten together for like 10 years Mm. because there wasn't no to, right. And so we all met at this Mexican place and it was like, it was like going home. It was like family. And so that's the one thing I miss the most is um, my skydiving family and so if you could walk away and basically not care, you know, like, oh, I don't like, I don't like those people anyways, then good. I mean, maybe it's not the place for you. Um, but if you are going to miss your family, like maybe like, you, like switch it up and try doing something helpful. Like, you know, I've always cons- like we have a guy who owned a restaurant and he would always make breakfast every weekend. And so I'm like, dude, I would love to go and flip pancakes with Stan on the weekend at the drop zone and just like be there. I like to just go be with my family. You know, I don't need to jump, you know, risk myself because I have such, you know, I have a long time of raising kids ahead of me. Sure. 
But I, if there was a zone, I would absolutely go and be a part of it in some way. Like, I don't, you know, like you, you're flying, you took years off, you were still in the drop zone every day, you just weren't jumping. Yeah, well, and that's the thing too, is I think the biggest uh, uh, common denominator from everybody that I've had on the podcast uh, has been the community aspect of it and how that is as big, if not a larger part of their draw in the sport is the people that it brings together. Uh, so, yeah, I suppose I'd have the same advice as well. You know, try and change the jumping up. See if you can find some different spice in in skydiving and try and learn something new. Um, But even if you're just burned out on jumping for a while, you know, try not to walk away from the community because chances are those are the people that you're going to miss them a lot more than you're going to miss jumping. At least that's what I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I have a lot of friends down in Arizona that um, they don't seem to be maybe as active. I know they still jump, but I when I get down there, even with kids, I'm going to totally, you know, move heaven and earth to link up with them. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's that's probably the best part about being able to do this podcast for me is I get the best of both worlds because I get to talk to um, old friends like you and then people that I have only met, you know, here and there or have never met uh, that are, are either rock stars or just nameless faces in the sport that have these wonderful views on skydiving. And so for me, this is very cathartic and, and super entertaining to be able to sit and, and shoot the shit and relive memories and hear other people and how excited they get talking about some of the crazy wild you know fun stuff that they've gotten up to in this sport because i mean come on let's face it it's it's a fucking awesome sport yeah well yeah mandy i'll tell you what i cannot thank you enough not just for sharing in all the insane adventures over the years but for taking the time to sit down and and talk during the podcast i know uh it's some challenging times for everybody all being under lockdown and 24 hour a day moms and stuff so i mean i can't thank you enough yeah, thank you. Oh. It's nice to catch up. And we'll have to try and be a little bit better at it, although it seems like we fall right back into the swing of things as soon as we start talking again anyway. Yeah, it's that kind of friendship for <laughs> sure. Is. All right, well, have an absolutely awesome day. Love you. Love you too. All right, another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void in the Can, brought to you as always by the greatest magazine in the known universe, Blue Skies Magazine. Head to blueskiesmag.com where you can check out previously published issues. You can subscribe to the magazine, buy all kinds of cool swag, and check out the new shit that they've going on. Send in those pictures and article ideas as well. As for me, I am The Fucking Pilot. You can find me directly at my website, thefuckingpilot.net, where you've got both the books that I've written, the Blue Skies book as well as The Accidental Stripper. Both of those are available in digital and print form and brought to you by Liquid sky liquid sky mask check them out i mean come on what an amazing thing they're doing helping put those masks out you buy one they're going to give one out to try and help uh keep this covid shit in check also they make amazing fucking jumpsuits again another episode of lunatic fringe into the void in the can thanks again we'll see you next time